Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 254 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 14th, 2013. We got a big show for you coming up. There's some breaking news right before we went to air on the podcast with uh, head coach Kevin O'Neill being fired from the USC basketball program. We'll talk to Dan Weber a little bit later on in the show about that. We're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde coming up in the first segment, answering all of your USC football questions. Uh, if you have any questions for us, we do love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can give us a call, 206-888-6755. Leave a brief. That means 30 seconds or so voicemail, and we will play it on the air. You can also go to peristylepodcast.com or send me a tweet, at Inside Troy. Any of those ways, if you get it to me, we'll try to get your question on the podcast and answer it. And like I said, we have Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Well, here we go again. I got back from Miami. It was a great trip down there to see the national championship game. I really did imp- enjoy that. And uh, now we uh, now we talk about uh, what recruiting. We get into now the off season. We find out who's going to be the defensive coordinator at USC, or if there are going to be any other coaching changes, uh, philosophy in the program. There's a lot to talk about, and then all of a sudden spring practice will be here, and then the spring game, and then we'll be talking about the coming football season. Yeah, it never ends. People ask me that don't know, you know, oh, well, football season's over. Is this your slow time? And I'm like, actually, no, this is a busy, <laughs> this is a pretty busy time. But before we jump into all that, I just wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. If you need tickets for anything, go to sctickets.com. It doesn't have to be USC football, even though that's in the name. Give them a call, one 800 888 7287. If you want to go see the Lakers, who won a game. If you want to see the Clippers, who are doing pretty well. The Kings are back. Lots of stuff going on in Southern California and all over the country. You can go to sctickets.com and they will hook you up. And, uh, coach, yeah, there is a lot going on. And one of the things, actually, you didn't mention uh, the, the 2013 schedule was actually released. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that, what you thought about the Trojan schedule. Well, I'll tell you, it can be uh, a great schedule, I think, for the Trojans. Uh, you know, there's a potential of 15 games. Can you imagine that? A season of 15 football games gives us more work. We get to see more college football. Of course, they have a regular. They have 13 games scheduled for the regular season because when you play at Hawaii, you get that extra game, and they're doing that this year. So they get get another non-conference game. Then you got the Pac-12 championship game, which everyone hopes that the Trojans will be in next year. And then you've got a bowl game opportunity. So 13, 14, 15. You got 15 games uh, as far as a potential schedule for this coming year. One thing I notice on the schedule too, you got two Thursday night games, and you have a Friday night game. You got the Friday night game at. Oregon State, which has always been a tough place to play for the Trojans. And I think the number one unique game, I'll tell you, the one I've been thinking about, I don't know what time I'm going to leave to go to the game, is the Arizona game on Thursday night in the Coliseum. Game time will always be normally about 5.30 p.m. So with all the traffic that's in Southern California or in L.A., and then a football game at the Coliseum on a Thursday night, I don't think there's ever been – an SC football game in the Coliseum on a Thursday night. So that's going to be a real experience, too, for everyone. It certainly will. And uh, actually, we had a voicemail question that had to do with the schedule, so we might as well play it for you right now. Um, yeah, but the two Thursday night games, the, the potential 15 games, is all pretty interesting. But here's the uh, voicemail question we have for you. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. This is Rob in Ukiah, California. Just got a quick uh, question um, regarding, looks like the Pac-12 schedule just came out, and uh, looking at it, looks like uh, USC possibly could play a 15-game season if they can make it to the Pac-12 championship game, factor in a bowl game, so I thought that was interesting. Also, uh, I'd like to ask you guys, why do you think USC historically struggles 
on the road on their first conference game, the first conference away game, always seems to be a struggle, even going back to Pete Carroll's days. Um, and this year looks like it could be another tough one. Looks like our first Pac-12 away game is at Arizona State. So just like to get your thoughts on that. And uh, thank you, and bye on. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I don't really have an answer why they seem to struggle on the first road game. Every team, you know, if it's the first conference game for both teams, it's really a start of a new season. When you take a look at the SC schedule, they're at Hawaii, Washington State at USC, Boston College at USC, and Utah State at USC. So really, the schedule, if I looked at that as an SC football coach or an SC football fan, uh, or just myself, I would say, hey, that that should be a 4-0 start. Now, Utah State, of course, has had a great season. Their head football coach has gone now to uh, the University of Wisconsin. Boston College has got a new football coach, so he'll be in his first year. Mike Leach will be in his second year at Washington State. But those should be all, and, of course, Norm Chow at Hawaii, those should be all winnable football games for USC. I'm not trying to say that, you know, anything is automatic, but if you're going to have a schedule you'd like to open your season with, I would say to get back in the winning way and know what the feeling is and to be able to win, you couldn't ask for more. So uh, I would say the first four games are, are, are games where the Trojans should be 4-0. Now, I don't want to put them in that same position that last year everybody's talking about, Heisman Trophy winner, undefeated, ranked number one. No, I'm being realistic looking at that schedule. And if everything goes well and you, and practices are, are the way they're supposed to be and your team matures to a point of where you're back on track and you got rid of all of the aches and pains and headaches that you've had, you should be 4-0. Now that road game at Arizona State is going to be a very difficult game again. Arizona State and, and Graham, they, he's done a great job there. He's really turned that program around. In fact, if you check the bowl games this past year, he Man, he really blistered Navy. I'm not saying Navy is Wisconsin, but I tell you what, he scored, what, 50 or 60 points in that football game, and his team had fun. So they're having fun down at Arizona State, and they have team speed, and they're not just going to accept SC coming in there and thinking they own Tempe. SC has lost their mystique as far as being the intimidating team and SC is going to have to fight for every every victory. So that's going to be a tough game again. I can't predict now on how that game might go, but it's going to be a difficult game. So road games are always difficult, especially in conference play where it means so much. And, if, and Arizona State fighting for the same recruits that USC are fighting for. So that's going to be a difficult game for the Trojans. So, I don't know how that'll be, but talking about the early games against Boston College, Utah State, and Washington State, I can talk uh, to those uh, specifically. But Arizona State, that's not a gimme. No, I don't think any game's a gimme. No game's a gimme. But that game at Arizona State's going to be very difficult. And, of course, Thursday night in the Coliseum against Arizona, Rich Rodriguez has got his team going. Both Arizona schools are having a good recruiting year. And then the next week, off to Notre Dame. And you know exactly how and where Notre Dame is sitting now there at the Golden Dome. So that is a game that is going to be very challenging. And back against Utah at the Coliseum and Friday night at Oregon State, that's going to be two games tough uh, with Utah in between and Cal. And they're at Cal with a new coach up there. Stanford will be the homecoming game uh, in the Coliseum. And then you've got, you're at Colorado with a new head football coach. You did a great job. McGuire at San Jose state, UCLA at the Coliseum. And then, then you, you're in the PAC 12 championship games if that happens. So I think it's a good schedule. I think it's a favorable schedule for USC. If I was to try to put a schedule together, knowing that I have home games and away games and what my opening games could be, I would say this is great. Remember, you don't have Oregon on the schedule here, and you don't have Washington on the schedule here. So I, I, I think it's a good schedule for USC. All right. Uh, let's go Let's go to another voicemail question, Coach. This is about the uh, defensive coordinator. Here you go. Hello, Ryan. Uh, this is Guy, and I hope that uh, Coach Hyde is back from secret assignments and so that he can answer this question. I don't know if uh, Clancy Pendergast is going to be our defensive coordinator or not, 
I don't know anything about him. And maybe Coach I can clue us in. And one question I'd like to know is, uh, is he more inclined towards man or zone coverage for the cornerbacks? That uh, seems to be a very important question. Fight on. Well, thank you very much for your questions. As far as Coach Pendergrass, uh, i got to be completely honest with you. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I, I know when he coached at Cal that he had very dominant fronts. Uh, the two years that they played Oregon, he did one heck of a job of stopping Oregon. Oregon was very fortunate in beating him one year. And, and I think the one year, I don't know if he beat him or not, but, boy, he, he played them. What, did he beat him one year, Ryan? I can't remember. Uh, no, I think it was very cl- – I don't think so. But I think they, they think held so. him or something. They But they kept him always to a low score. Yeah. To a low score. So – you know, I think he's got the clue of what's going on. Uh, you hear people talking about he's real good at the spread attack, but people like uh, the pro offense have had success against him. So, you know, you're only as good as your last game. You're only as good as your last play. Uh, this, of course, would be Coach Kiffin's choice of who fits in with his staff and who he feels will best accomplish the goals of what they have to face. And what you have to face now in the Pac-12 is spread offenses. Now with Cal's New offensive coach, he's going to wing the ball all over the field. Uh, Everyone is running this hurry-up type of offense now in the Pac-12. UCLA across town is doing it, everybody, Arizona. So I don't even have to go through that and explain that to you, but you already know. As far as in your secondary, you know, you've got to have great corners to play man defense. So, you know, your, your personnel sort of dictates what you can play. And right now, currently, with Roby coming out, and they had a problem over at the other corner this year as far as not really having the guy over there, Harris or Shaw or whoever, Seymour, whoever they tried over there, they really didn't have the success, success, and their secondary didn't play up to the level of what everybody expected. There could be, and I don't know how this could happen, but there could be an all-frost secondary for USC next year. I'm not saying that these players they have there that they brought in that were J.C. All-Americans and Bowman and these other players they have there can't play. But obviously I would have thought they would have stood out more than what they did last year. Or maybe they were put in a position where they couldn't. I don't know. I don't know that, so I can't say that. But the play man coverage, you got to have two shutdown corners that can come up and bump and challenge you and, and say, Throw me to throw the ball out here. I want you to throw the ball out there. You want to talk to those receivers, knowing those receivers aren't going to be open. Now, if they get Ramsey and they get Hawkins, Hawkins had an outstanding game, uh, the way I understand it, down there in the Army All-American game that he played in. Ramsey's heavily recruited. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with Ramsey, if he's going to come to USC. Potentially, maybe you could play some man, but do you want to play man all the time with two freshman quarters? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. You might have, I don't know who your safeties are going to be, but you've got Craven and McRae coming in, and, and they're two of the best in the country. Can they start early? Can they win for you early? Can they cover the field? One thing I would look at as far as the safety play, I think SC's got to get better play out of their safeties as far as being center fielders and not be responsible always for filling off tackle or making tackles on the line of scrimmage, but being a combination of both both run support plus be the center fielder and help shut down the pass, the deep passes, the, the passes where people have been able to beat USC, the intermediate passes, the curl routes, things where people have been able to main ball control with the short passing game and the deep passing game when they haven't been able to get out and cover the deep middle or the deep outside quarters. So, you know, I don't know what they'll run as far as in the secondary. I don't know what Pentagrass will run. But I know one thing, if you're a smart coach, you don't run something where you don't have personnel to be able to uh, play the type of defense you want to play. Being a smart coach is taking your personnel and putting them in a position where they can be successful. And I think that's what will dictate what they're going to do. And I've heard now Pendergrass is more of a 3-4 type of guy. Uh, coach Kiffin wants to play more 3-4 defense. That means You've got another linebacker in the game. They've got linebackers back. They've got Riffin, who they redshirted. They've got Starr, who was redshirted this year because he was hurt. They've got Pollard back, who should be a good linebacker. Maybe Dawson will be a better 34 linebacker on the strong side. So 
you know, it all might work out. And if they get a couple of good defensive linemen to go on top of the linemen they have, that might be the defense to run. That might be the defense to run. Or shift it down. It's so easy to adjust to a fourth front, four-man front. All you do is shift down a guy. It's no big deal. In fact, I think multiple fronts is something that I would utilize all the time and, and move people around. I think it's harder to prepare for a team when they run a bunch of different type of fronts and different type of coverages, but you've got to be sharp and you've got to be able to pick up your blocking. If you get into one lineup, one one set all the time, hey, you go into a game as an offensive lineman and you say, hey, I know what my look is. I know what we can do. And uh, it's easier to make your calls. But if you see diff- different fronts all the time and moving on the line of scrimmage, left, right, uh, faking stunts, dropping back out, running some stacks, shoving down guys down into the gaps, it causes a lot of problems for an offensive line coach. And I coached the offensive line for a long time. So I'd like to see a lot of that, and I'm not sure he'll want to do that, but I know it sure causes problems to the, to the offense. Uh, okay, Coach, let's see. I want to switch gears a little bit. We want to talk about some special teams, and we have a question from Steve. He said, a reported strength of for us since John Baxter's hiring was supposed to be special teams. Clearly, Andre Hidari was never the same after his injury in the Hawaii game. I'm concerned that he'll ever be, quote-unquote, back and live up to expectations. Our ability to capitalize on punt returns was non-existent in 2012 with Roby and or Woods handling kicks. Uh, Kyle Negretti's departure could present some challenges as an untested scholarship player is waiting in the wings. Clearly, Matt Khalil played a huge role in 2011. Nowhere near the pressure on field goals, extra points like the the previous year, and also only one block punt this season. With your t- What's your take on the... Performance by the special teams unit in 2012 and outlook for 2013. I really thought special teams was primed to go to the next level in 2012 and to be recognized as one of the best in the the nation, but that never materialized. That's from Steve. Well, Steve, I'll tell you, special teams are one-third of the game, and uh, you have to look at it that way. I've never seen a team practice special teams as much time as Coach Giffen gives Coach Baxter for special teams. If you've ever been to a practice, he has a full, I don't know how much time, but he is continually working on special teams. During practice, the kickers are kicking. Sometimes I think they kick too much and they kick their leg out. Now, this is just my opinion. I don't know, but I used to tell my kickers, don't kick too much. You'll lose the strength in your leg and you'll lose the zip in your leg and the swing. When you kick the ball, you you start to lose all that power that you have. So... uh, but they're continually working on special teams. They work on it all the time. I know he can put anybody on the special teams units he wants, but you see first-teamers going down covering kickoffs, going down and covering punts and doing all of this, so you know that he has complete control of the personnel. You see Marquise Lee returning kickoffs. You say, why would you do that? The guy plays all the time. He catches 100 balls, yet he's returning kickoffs. So, you know, and and his answer to that, great players want to play every play, which is true. Whether that's true or not, as far as in my philosophy, that's their philosophy, and that's what he does, and that's what he's getting paid to do. As far as the special teams this year being as good as they were a year ago, I don't feel they were either. I'll agree with that. I think they had some good games. I think they had maybe not a lot of great games, and they had some bad games. I think the UCLA game was absolutely as uh, other parts of that game were not much to brag about. Special teams in that game is the field goal. The field goal was blocked. I think a punt was blocked. I mean, when you look at all of this happening in special teams, you say, what's going on? It was a complete breakdown. And then you had some good games. Marquise Lee runs back a touchdown on the kickoff. So that sometimes erases the memories of some of the things that aren't great. As far as the leg, Hattari's leg, I thought was, I know he got injured. But during the offseason, he lost a lot of weight. He wasn't the same kicker at the beginning of the season that I thought he was at, He was as a freshman. He didn't have the distance. It didn't look like he had the strength that he did as a freshman. Not that the weight made a difference, but whenever someone comes in, I always used to tell my coaches, you recruit them for a reason. Why change them? Special guys that do special things like punters, like snappers, like uh, field goal kickers. Hey, if they come in being able to kick a 50-yard field goal all the time, why are you going to try to improve them? <laughs> just, 
I mean, I mean, why are you going to try to change their rhythm, change their step, change anything they're doing? And I used to say, you're overcoaching these kids. And this kid, Adari, and you know this, Ryan, he, Adari, he lost 20 or 30 pounds. Well, it's the first time in his life he's felt that light, and maybe he lost some strength along with it. Now, being injured was very unfortunate, but I don't think he ever came back to be the kicker he was as a freshman. He didn't He didn't kick as well. He didn't have the same... I, to me, it looked like he didn't have the same confidence. He didn't have the same confidence. And sometimes when you're supposed to kick a field goal and you don't kick a field goal and you say, why did they kick a field goal? Well, mentally that goes through the kicker's mind. They don't have confidence in me. And there were times this year that Coach Kiffin passed up field goals when I thought he should have taken the three points and he didn't. So if you're a kicker, you stand on the sideline, you say, he didn't think I can make it. And and that really works in a negative way as far as in a kid's mind. Okay, uh, good points on special teams there, Coach. I agree with you. It just I, – I, I agree with the question, the guy that asked the question too. I thought it would be a, a breakout season for special teams, and it certainly was several steps backwards. So we'll have to see how that advances in 2013. Um, Carl in Kansas City wrote in, and he said – I like the idea of USC having the ability to show different defensive looks, something you, you just talked about, Coach. In my opinion, this past season, defensively, USC sat back way too much and just let teams attack them, either hoping for a three and out or hoping for a mistake by the offense rather than attacking the offense, forcing a mistake or a turnover like in the Pete Carroll years. Based on USC's current and future roster, as well as the offenses in the Pac-12 in recent years, which defense do you think would best fit USC to get back to dominate again? Would you start with big and fast defensive front or a blitz or a dominant ball hawking corners that can man up with no safety help so we can blitz more on unpredictable blitzing downs? That's from Carl in Kansas City. Well, I'll tell you, I agree. Uh, well, we talked about this a moment ago, so Carl, I'll probably repeat some of the same things, and I apologize to our listeners, but on defense, when I coached defense, and I was a defensive coordinator for several years, I wanted to make defense fun. I wanted to make defense offense. I wanted to feel as though we dictated to the offense on what they could do. And I like to have fun with defense by giving different looks, going after people a lot, putting the pressure on on the offense, not letting them realize well, where we are what or could take us for granted. I think that's really important that – People can't take you for granted. Uh, and I used to move around a lot, stun a lot. Yet we had great corners, as he just mentioned, where we could play a lot of man. We'd fake man, come up, and then drop back off. We we would never let you get the real look. And if you watch on Sundays when NFL teams play, the disguise looks a lot. They have delayed stunts. They have stunts that come right away. They bring their corners. They bring their corner up. They drop their corner back. You see quarterbacks even in the NFL changing their play, audibleizing, and all of a sudden they go back to the same defense they had at the beginning. So they audibleized the wrong play. So I like to do that. I like to have fun on defense. I like to go against cones. I like to shift around. I like the kids to be excited about even if they lined up the wrong way, if they made a play, it was the right play. Because I think that the more looks you give the people, the more fun you have on defense, the more people have to perform. And kids, kids, kids like to have fun. If you're not having fun and you're making it too difficult and they're doing too much thinking, they can't use their athletic ability. You recruit kids for a certain reason, and if you recruit kids, that means they can play. I wouldn't recruit anybody that couldn't play. I mean, that was my – I'd just bypass the scholarship. I wouldn't give it because I, I don't want to give turns to a player that can't play. You've got to give play, turns to a player that can play, be, hope he becomes better and becomes better at what he does. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that's, what I, that's the type of defense that I want to run. I think that's the type of defense that, that causes more confusion to people and, and they keep it simple, yet it's simple for you but confusing for the offense that's preparing for you. I think that's the number one thing. And, and I think tackling is something that's so important. You've got to be a great tackling football team. No matter what defense you play, you've got to be able to tackle. Not block down people, tackle. Tackle in space, bring people down. When you see a one-on-one situation, you see that play being made. 
you don't see that guy being duped. You settle up, you dip down, you wait, you don't, you don't uh, lunge, you wait and you say, hey, what are you going to do because I'm going to get you. So uh, that's my philosophy on defense. And, of course, uh, you've got to gamble a lot on defense. And uh, I used to do that a lot on goal line situations because when you get down there and it's fourth and two, I got to guess of what I can do to, 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 to try to stop you. And, uh, because if you're running the type of package like I see the San Francisco 49ers run or what I used to call the jumbo package, you hear me talk about it during the year, or the double tight or three tackles in the game, uh, I mean, I mean, I've taught those guys that we're going to score on offense when I was an offensive coach. Even if they have 12 guys on defense or 14 guys on defense, it makes no difference. So you've got to have that type of pride in the offensive side of the football and the defensive side of the football. But I think if you can execute and have fun on defense and make it more confusing but keep it simple on defense, you're a step ahead. Uh, one last thing, Coach. David in the OC says, I feel like most USC fans, very unhappy with this past year. I, I, he says, I feel like most USC fans. He's very unhappy with this past year. But does anyone ever have an answer on how to operate a team with the penalties USC is taking? 15 versus 25 scholarships, 17 versus 85. Let's face it, if USC had 10 more players on the offense or defensive lines, where would USC be? Just a thought, Dave in the OC. Well, obviously, you'd rather have your full boat of scholarships. There's no question about that. And, and it, 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 this will be the first time a team has taken a hit like this. It's going to be interesting to see exactly how you get through it. But you can't change things, and you can't talk about it. You got to, you know, the negative things, when you talk about negative things, we don't have as many scholarships, and we don't have this, and we don't have that. Well, all that does is bring up uh, an excuse or bring up reasons uh, why you shouldn't win. Bring up reasons why you should win. Bring up reasons, yeah, we don't have as many, but our guys are going to get bigger. We're going to play bigger. We're going to make bigger plays. And when this thing comes to an end, we'll be ready to challenge for anything. And maybe you'll be ready to challenge now. With the type of recruiting classes that USC has and gets and continually has and gets, you know, you should be able to play. You don't play as many uh, players as what people think anyway. I used to you know, have a tough time cutting down a traveling squad because they're all good players. You want to take them on the road, but how many of them do you really use? You've got to be able to have guys that can play more than one position. They do it in the NFL. Well, you got to do it in college. you got to be able to have a guy that plays a position but just a backup snapper. So you take one snapper and a back, and a guy that can play regularly and snap two. You've got to do some changes around you with your offense and your depth charts where a guy can play guard and a guy can play center and a guy can play guard and a guy can play tackle. And you interchange these guys until you have the numbers of depth where you can perform and play. But in a great football game, in a group, any major game that's going to be a close football game, how many times do you substitute or take out guys or rotate guys that are your starters? You play your best players against their best players. You don't... Uh, you know, take your players out and, and bring in guys that aren't as good. I mean, you try to keep your best players on the field. Obviously, if you don't have the depth, you don't have as many, but you try to get your guys to play at a level where you're successful. And if your best, uh, if your top 22 are better than their top 22, you got a chance. And that's what SC's in a position to have with the recruiting success that they have. If you do the right things and you don't have injuries, which you could could have you, you're unfortunate when you have injuries but you got to cross train and you got to be able to play at a different position and but talking about it continuously i get i get sick of hearing it there's nothing you can do about it so just schedule it play it and get through this, this these three years or two more years or one more year whatever it is after this year and then be back on track all right coach we'll really appreciate you coming on the show always sharing your insights a lot of fun and i guess we'll talk to you again next week I hope so, buddy. Again, uh, thank you very much for all of you that call in and ask questions. And uh, remember, we just give you our opinion. You've got your opinion, but I enjoyed talking with you. We certainly do, Coach. And uh, thanks again to you and everyone else. Hey, we'll be back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. 
Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer on the phone, joining us for the show. And uh, just, I guess a few minutes before we went on to tape the show, we hear that Kevin O'Neill has been fired as USC's men bas- men's basketball coach four seasons. Dan, I wanted to get your initial reaction to uh, KO getting the boot. Well, um, didn't see that coming. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and in person, he's a guy you, you know, you like hanging out, hanging out with, and he'll give you his cell phone and, you know, call me and he'll talk to you on his way back and forth to Coronado to where he's moved and, and all that. But uh, he just, you know, probably wasn't the right guy. It might not have ever been the right guy, and uh, uh, it's kind of long overdue. Uh, I mean, you don't want to second guess too much. It would have seemed like the right time to do this uh, if you got yourself into this year or fourth year of his contract. The right time to do it would have been at the beginning of the Pac-12 season, four games ago. And they, at least they won two, but uh, you know. Uh, realistically, if you look at their talent level, and you got to give them some credit for, you know, scrambling around and finding tra- 10 transfers to come in here and play. But uh, uh, the problem is now that the talent level is up, uh, you really got to coach them up too then because this is a team that easily could be 4-0 in the Pac-12. And, uh, and uh, I mean, you know, nobody's got two seven-footers in, in the whole country who are pretty decent athletes and, and with the potential that this team's got, and it's got a lot of depth and, uh, um, you just have to be able to, you know, coach them up and, uh, that's just not happening. And, uh, it, it based on basically Kevin's, uh, you know, whole track record, that probably wasn't going to happen. Uh, I don't, I don't think there was a, a real possibility that that was going to happen. And, uh, you know, USC just ought to do better. Uh, they've got a potential for a really good basketball program. And um, the Pac-12, more teams are trying to be better. Uh, if you look at what Oregon has done and, uh, you know, with Dana Altman and you look at uh, UCLA's finally starting to figure it out again and, and with the recruiting that Ben Helen has done. And uh, it's just, uh, and you know, Mike Montgomery at, at, at Cal has got a, got a good program going. And uh, it's just, you know, USC just can't afford, I don't think, to not, not have a really, you know, good basketball program. That building and the location and all that is just, it's it's too obvious that uh, USC could be pretty darn good in basketball, and it just seems like a, a terrible waste to not have somebody who can take advantage of that. Yeah, I'm really curious to see. I mean, I love Bob Cantu. He's taken over on an interim basis, and I'm I'm really curious to see what, He's able to do, but also obviously the coaching search. Uh, they'll have plenty of time to to do that. I'm, I'm sure they'd like to get it done if they could. But um, I mean, I think it gives them a lot of options. This mid-season firing, uh, like I agree with you, the timing seems a little weird. Like, why didn't you do this? Well, you could have obviously done it after last year, uh, but after you know, before the conference season would have been, I think, a perfect time to do it. Um, but yeah, I'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Yeah, I mean, it does give them, uh, you know, a lot of time. And, and it is, a, you know, in one way it's an attractive job. In another way, you know, I, you can see a coach saying, gosh, they just don't care about basketball. Uh, it gives you a lot of opportunity. To, you know, I think Tim Floyd always saw, uh, you know, the the opportunity. And I don't think there's any question had he kept the last recruiting class uh, and uh, kept everybody in school uh, the year he left, you know, they have a potentially a final four team. And uh, I, I just think he, uh, he knew that he knew that potential was there. And uh, uh, I think it's still there. Uh, you know, Pac-12 
again, like in football, the Pac-12, they're working harder at it at more schools. So uh, it, it might not be quite as smooth a path uh, as it was 10 years ago in football or in basketball now. Uh, but uh, but it's there, and uh, you, you want USC to be able to take advantage of that. It's just basketball is too obviously uh, an opportunity for USC, and 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 it was really um, a negative for I think you know the school, the university in general, uh, kind of uh, and certainly for the athletic program to not take advantage of that. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. Well, we'll see where it go from here. We'll probably put up a hot board of different coaching candidates and. Uh... Could be a very wide range. <laughs> That'll be interesting yeah. to see. Yeah, we don't, yeah, that's a good idea uh, in terms of how do you how do you do this and uh, and I, I think they, they kind of kind of got to you know qualify them in stages and uh, you know their local guys for example I think uh, uh, you know you got to look at you know Long Beach State I think uh, you know Coach Monson has done a great job there and playing a great schedule. And, uh, you know, former uh, Gonzaga and, and Minnesota coach, so I think, you know, so I think there's some local places you look at, you look at, you know, some USC background people, and you really qualify, I think, some of the, you know, the, the really big-time younger coaches nationally, you know, like uh, Coach Stevens at Butler and um, uh, Shaka Smart at, you know, Virginia Commonwealth, and guys that are probably really doing well and, and probably locked in pretty much at their school, but, but you just take a shot at them. I think, you know, it's the kind of thing that you're, you're going to have time to target people and qualify them and see, you know, would you be interested if we bring you out and just take a look around and see what you think and, uh, and see, uh, you know, you've got time to do it now. All right, well, let's move over to football. we got some questions for you dan and i guess one of the big ones here's here's one we'll give you a voicemail question having to do with a, a coaching hire but this is for football hey what is the status of our new defensive coach i've heard rumors and i just want to know what give me an update please yeah rumors is right we, i think we've all heard the rumors that i think uh, it makes sense you know the rumors that you know that we're hearing that that it's uh uh, Clancy Pendergrass, you know, I mean, it, it, it makes the most sense in terms of hireability, you know, uh, a, a guy, he's got the, um, he got the NFL background. He's been, you know, a defensive coordinator uh, for, you know, six years, two teams in the NFL, one uh, the Arizona Cardinals, went to the Super Bowl with him as the defensive coordinator. He's been, uh, uh, you know, the last three years in the Pac-12, so that he, he fits the the qualifications, I think, that, that Lane was looking for, um, uh, a guy who's familiar with the Pac-12, uh, coming from Cal. He worked for, uh, you know, Lane's uh, mentor, Jeff Tedford. I think there's a, you know, comfort level there, and uh, he um, he's available. I mean, so that staff was was let go, so um, uh, he's all the things that, you know, that USC was, was looking for now. Again, he may not be, uh, you know, I know that, and it's hard to say, you know, people wouldn't really uh, focus on um, uh, outside the league, Pat Narduzzi, the uh, Michigan State, you know, defensive coordinator, or focus on, uh, you know, in the league, Mark Banker at Oregon State and say, wow, these are the you know, really, really special hires, but but when you look at it on paper, there are ways in which you could say Pendergrass, whose teams, you know, led the Pac-12 in defense uh, the last two years before this year, when he lost, uh, they lost most of their uh, defensive talent. Uh, that uh, that his resume, you know, stacks up with anybody's, and, and it, because of the uh, variety of, of places he's been and the number of places he's coached in the NFL. And yet he's still coming directly from uh, college and from the Pac-12, where he's had success. You, you know, you could say on paper, you know, he's the guy. Uh, but uh, that's, you know, that's that's what we're hearing, and I think it makes sense. So it's one of those rumors that uh, that makes a lot of sense, and you know, everything around, you know, there's nothing that says it, it it's not going to happen. But uh, I think this is one really. That Lane himself, and I think Gerard has mentioned it, and I think we've all, you know, in talking to assistant coaches and what have you, we've 
we've all gotten a sense that this is Lane's heart and this is really Lane doing it. And it's not one of those, uh, you know, shared out in the open, everybody's involved in this and say, you know, they're going to be talking about it. I think this is really one Lane is, Lane's doing it himself. So, uh, it's, it's not one of those ones that, that kind of everybody would, would know, uh, kind of what's going on. I think this is one that, that Lane, uh, Lane's got this one, uh, uh, you know, himself that, that, uh, it doesn't look like, you know, and I know people have said, oh, it's probably Monty. Monty's out. I get the sense that this is Lane's baby. He's going to find this, uh, this one. And, uh, this week would be a good time if, uh, if you're going to, you know, reveal it and, uh, and, and get moving on that the players were meeting, uh, you know, with the coaches this morning to get started on winter workouts and what have you. So, uh, so today, you know, you would suspect that today might be a day we'd find out. Um, and JJB had a follow-up with that. He said, I love your program. Does the fact that Kiffin hasn't hired a defensive coordinator yet seem to indicate that nobody wants to come to USC under this current situation? I remember a couple of years ago when Rick Neuheisel took so long to hire a defensive coordinator that I, I don't think he, he got a good one. Fight on from JJB. You know, I think that's one way to look at it. I, I think they would... Uh, naturally offer, you know, multiple years uh, so that there would be some, you know, job security uh, for a guy, even if, uh, you know, somebody said, well, it's still, it could go one and out. Uh, so uh, I, and I think for somebody, you know, who doesn't have, you know, a job uh, and you could say, well, I could maybe go over here, but, I, I've got the opportunity to go to USC and really make an impact. I mean, I think because of the nature of, of you know, the situation, uh, you also have an opportunity to make a bigger name for yourself and make more of an impact and really, uh, you know, be uh, it could be a very good career move. So uh, I don't think that that's the decider. I mean, it, it, you know, it might be a decider if you're uh, a Pat Narduzzi, for example, and you just missed out on the um, Cincinnati head coaching job, and you're really a Midwestern guy, and you're really locked in. And there are two ways you could look at that. You could say, gee, I need to move and get a, one more uh, you know, uh, line on my resume and one more pla- you know, place in the country so I become a really a national coach, uh, and I'll take a shot at it, or you say, you know, that is uh, a little bit uh, – taking a little bit of a chance, and maybe I'm, uh, I'm situated well enough. Uh, so, I mean, I think it could work both ways. Uh, and I don't think we know that it's, uh, it's working in the negative way. I think, you know, it may have also had to do a little bit with uh, uh, Monty's situation and uh, Monty, uh, you know, leaving for the Cowboys and that that was – certainly probably in the works a little bit, or at least there was some talk uh, when Monty, you know, first mentioned, you know, looking at the NFL. I have to think that, that there was some Monty, uh, you know, talk with uh, the Cowboys, with Jerry Jones and his son and what have you. So, uh, and I guess that's always the possibility of, does that involve anybody else on the USC staff? And, and did they let that play out? Uh, first until they knew exactly what was happening there before uh, before they make this move. We'll see. Uh, I, I do think that's a possibility, though. All right. Um, well, some other big news came out yesterday. It was, it was taking a little longer than we anticipated, but Nikhil Roby decided to uh, skip out on his senior season. He's going to enter the NFL draft. Doesn't look like he was projected anywhere in the first three rounds, but I want to get your thoughts on uh, Nikhil Roby declaring for the draft. Yeah, uh, and talking to Nikel right after the Sun Bowl game, it was obvious he knew then he'd gotten his draft evaluation. He had said, if I don't go in the first, if I'm not uh, projected in the first two rounds, I'm not going. And so he admitted, yeah, they don't project me in the first uh, three rounds now. And yet that wasn't enough to say I'm coming back. And, uh, you know, that was the day that Robert Woods said for sure he was going. And you got the sense that Nikel also was on that same uh, same train with uh, Robert at that point in time. He, you know, he, he thought, I think, he was going to be evaluated 
at least in the second round. And uh, I think he found it very hard for him to say that uh, he uh, he wasn't, you know, I think he sees the challenge that somehow he's going to get, he's going to get himself uh, to workouts and the interviews and all the other, and he, you know, he's going to, Ride that, uh, you know, that Michael Floyd game against Notre Dame uh, a year ago. And uh, I just thought that in his head, he wasn't coming back. He was, his plan was three years and out. And, you know, I think he really wants to, you know, uh, be able to, you know, take care of his family. And uh, I think just the plan in his mind had always been the three years. And, uh, I think he he looked at it and said, you know, I can come back and try to prove that I'm uh, I'm better than that, or I can I can just try to prove it right now, you know, and 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 get ready for the draft and and do all the things I've got to do right now and get ready for the combine uh, and the fact that he can go to the combine and uh, you know I think he's just taking the challenge now and because there is some uncertainty, he said that you know knowing the defensive coordinator and what he was going to do might have some impact on him, but uh, as, as with Robert, who had said, you know, I know, if, you know, if I came back, they'd figure out a way to throw me the ball more. Uh, and Nikel, I think, felt like if it comes back, you know, he would get a chance, and he thinks they're going to be more aggressive and and uh, allow the you know the corners to really uh, you know play more uh, you know man coverage and 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 all of that. I think he still. The challenge for him, I think he said, it's there now, and uh, I'm going to go ahead. And I, I don't think I ever had the sense that I felt like he was coming back. I, I would have been surprised had he uh, had he made the decision to come back. And I think the longer it went, the more, it, you know, I know it's probably hard in a way when you think, gosh, you know, I'm you know, not quite 5'8", and uh, – didn't have have the greatest year this year. Again, he didn't get a chance to always because they didn't always throw the ball his way. But uh, you know, just the he wasn't coming back. I didn't think. I, I just didn't think that was in the in the cards. So uh, uh, especially once Robert, I think if Robert would have decided to come back, I think it might have changed things a little bit. But uh, but I just think it was uh, once Robert went. Uh, I think Nikel was always in that mindset that, you know, Robert and I are both going to go. And uh, I think that's the way, you know, it was just, that's the way it was going to be. All right. Uh, let's move on. I've got a voicemail question. Uh, here you go, Dan. JD from DC here. Question for Dan Weber. Dan, help us out. We need some good, solid investigative reporting on what really is the story behind the Kylie Fitz uh, brouhaha. Uh, the APR um, angle and uh, the Abe Markowitz angles just don't seem to hold up. Uh, the former would kick in long after people graduated, and Abe's situation and his graduate school status and his scholarship status has been known for months, presumably, by the coaching staff. So what really is the story behind this? Thanks a lot. I still don't think we know the whole uh, uh, Abe Markowitz story. It doesn't make a great deal of sense because USC is in a position now with his scholarship that uh, if uh, a couple more guys leave, uh, maybe unexpectedly uh, somebody gets medicaled out because they can't play, and they're they're probably already a, a player or two in that category who really haven't been able to play this year. And uh, going forward, you wouldn't think they may be able to play next year, but who have not been medicaled out, uh, and then that scholarship becomes available. They can't come back and play, but uh, but they stay in school on scholarship. Uh, and there are, I think, the possibility that we'll find out this week that maybe somebody did not come back. Uh, and, uh, you know, so... Uh, those scholarships then open up next year. Now, Abe's on scholarship technically through this whole year, through through the summer. Uh, and when those scholarships, if USC, for example, has two kids that, you know, one medicals and one, um, uh, you know, academically uh, doesn't make it, those are, 
say, and there are two of the 75 scholarships, and there are two more, let's say, than one or two more than you have the need for with the 17 players coming in. Now, I think one of the numbers we, we've gotten is that it looks like there could be 13 or so. This is a small graduating class, so 13 or so leaving with 17 arriving, counting the early entries. So um, they still may need to uh, open up a scholarship or two. But if uh, if they do have available scholarships next fall, uh, the only people that can get them are walk-ons or people who've been on the squad for two years or more. Uh, the NCA would regard any other uh, distribution of those scholarships as a new scholarship, and that would take USC above the 17 that they're allowed to award uh, between the uh, you know the 15 they're allowed and the two early entries that they're still allowed to uh, to give from last year. So as far as Abe's concerned, we think we know where it is. What we don't know is why did they come out and say you know, a couple of weeks ago, that there wouldn't be a place for him next year. I don't know that that's true, and I don't know how they knew that that could be true. Uh, and we've gotten conflicting answers from, uh, you know, from the uh, the compliance people and, uh, you know, people that know the NCAA rules and from what uh, Abe himself has been told, I think, have been some, uh, you know, conflicting answers. As to Kylie Fitz, it clearly seems that uh, Kylie Fitz uh, is in a situation where because uh, one or two of the current about-to-be graduating seniors, who was thought to be a, a graduating at the end of the first semester, didn't make a course somewhere uh, and therefore is not graduating and will be on scholarship and taking up one of the scholarships the second semester. The only way a scholarship and a, a slot is open the second semester uh, based on a, uh, that same scholarship in the first semester as one of the 75, the only way that slot is open is, it, is if a senior graduates uh, the, um, at, at this year. For example, uh, Robert Woods and Nikhil Roby leaving second semester do not – open up a new slot. But if uh, Kyle Negretti, for example, uh, who was telling me that, you know, I'm graduating and I'm, you know, my scholarship's going to be available for somebody, uh, then, then there's a scholarship available. And I think they thought they had all, all, uh, they had enough scholarships for the seven early entry kids. Well, they knew they had enough for the six. And when Leon McQuaid, you know, the third, decided uh, at the uh, uh, Army Bowl that he was coming. That made it seven. And it looks like they only had six slots. Therefore, I think the decision was, uh, you know, the person with the, uh, you know, the broken, the broken wrist and the nearby guy at a position maybe not quite as much of need if somebody has to go or somebody has to not start until June that probably would be the guy most likely to do that. And I know it probably disappointed the heck out of Kylie Fitz. And I know it disappointed the heck out of the coaches whenever, you know, they, they could not have been more, you know, sorry to, you know, the whole situation without, you know, getting into any specifics. And, and, and it's not one of those things they can even talk about in terms of specifics. But it's one of those, you know, really, really sad uh uh, effects of the NCA sanctions, which you wish USC, this is why I think we always wish USC would fight harder on the way the numbers uh, and the way the NCAA, I mean, I always thought that USC should have, uh, Pat has said that they sh they didn't, you know, they lost their two appeals and that's what happened. I always thought they should have gone back and fought over the numbers and the way the uh, penalties are administered to USC in terms of the, the, the 15 early entries and the uh, uh, 75 total and the uh, free agency they immediately allowed and lost six players originally, which I thought should have been uh, added to the totals and, uh, and USC shouldn't have, because that in effect was 36 scholarship penalty. Uh, and I thought USC should have gone back and asked for clarification 
and for situations where they were guaranteed to be under the 75. I think USC should have said we should have the ability whenever we're going to go under 75 to get a waiver from the NCA so that we don't go under the 75 in, in particular situations. And if you've got a kid, for example, a senior who's taking one class, uh, I think uh, U.S. And, and that's denying a kid a chance to start uh, early who academically has done all the things to do that. I think USC should have had the ability to go to the NCA and request a waiver yeah, and that I think that with that that tailoring it, for example, so that student athletes, you know, I think USC could have made the case that to be fair to student athletes and not knowing what's going to come up, uh, you know, what individual situations are that the NCA, since they really basically took six extra scholarships on the front end uh, away from USC, US, uh, USC should have said. We need you to uh, to have uh, so that there's the ability to make decisions based on what's best for the uh, student athletes. In, in a case like what's best for Abe Markowitz or what's best for Kylie Fitz, and uh, you know this is where I think USC should have been much more aggressive and put the NCA on the defensive. If they're going to say no, we're going to screw uh, deserving student athletes because. That's what Paul D wanted. Uh, that's not that's not good enough answer. Uh, and this is what's going to happen in cases like this because this is what they wanted. This is what they want. You know, this is what the NCAA wanted. Uh, they wanted their pound of flesh from USC. It's 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 pathetic and uh, it's indefensible. And uh, I wish USC would have pushed them harder. All right, all all good points, Dan. So hopefully that that's clear for everybody on the scholarship stuff. Um, two different situations with Abe Markowitz and Kylie Fitz, and both are results of the sanctions. Um, let's say a, a couple quick ones before we let you go, Dan. Terrian wanted to know: Are you aware of J.K. McKay's responsibilities relative to the football program? Yes. Uh, <laughs> he and and this is the question. I really like J.K., and I think he's got a lot of his dad in him. It's kind of like if John McKay were a lawyer, he'd be J.K. McKay. Uh, he, uh, smart guy, funny guy. He, he really gets it, cares about it. I mean, if you're down at the end of the game on the sidelines and you're near J.K. McKay, you know, I think, gosh, he's probably responding as I would be if I were doing that job. Um, he, you know, he'll be on – staring daggers at somebody or on the official or whatever. I mean, I love his general approach to things. Now, has he been given or does he have the maybe, you know, authority to uh, maybe, you know, make the, the kind of changes or, you know, I, I guess the question is, does he see his, his role as more uh, administering the football program or, does he see it more as working for uh, working for Pat and trying to, you know, keep uh, you know, you know, sort of a stand-in, uh, you know, for the athletic director, but more during this time, kind of making, you know, life better for Pat, you know, and I don't know if we know exactly which is the way, and, and you know, in big university bureaucracy, sometimes uh, the you know, they're, they're, the the look of, you know, administrators is above them to the person they work for and uh, uh, maybe not so much as the role of, uh, you know, taking care of the football team first. Uh, I don't think we really know exactly how that works. Uh, I think he's really a good influence. I just, I, you know, I trust his judgment and uh, like, you know, like his take on, on football, and uh, I just like the fact that, you know, you got kind of John McKay's presence and that, you know, toughness and competitiveness there. But I would like to probably see more of John McKay or J.K. McKay's imprint on this football program, if if I can say it that way. But uh, But I don't think we know the whole answer to your question. 
Uh, all right, and then one last one for you, Dan. Uh, this is from Melvin. He says, where is George Farmer in the future for the Trojans? Uh, he had a lot of good press uh, heading into the Sun Bowl practices, but when they, went to, when they got to El Paso, he didn't even participate. What went wrong with George Farmer? Well, I, he didn't participate in a couple of practices the last week. That's the same. I mean, he, he could not have had any better practices or participated anymore the first two weeks. Um, so, and I, I did talk to him and I know, well, you know, you're not technically, they're supposed to talk about injuries that much, but, uh, he didn't seem like, you know, there was a, there's a big problem said there wasn't, um, and, uh, was, uh, eventually, you know, cleared to play in, you know, in the game. I mean, part of the problem is they're only running 60, you know, five plays a game, you know, Arizona's running 95, uh, that 30 extra plays means a lot. I mean, and if you've got a wide receiver, Marquise Lee, you know, that's getting the ball thrown to him, you know, 20 times a game, 18 times a game, and if you're going to have any balance in the run game, there really isn't much need for a third receiver for sure. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I mean, I was always one that I liked the idea of him in a hybrid role where he could run sweeps and reverses and line up as a slot receiver and run drag patterns across and underneath the linebackers or underneath the secondary and turn up field. I still hope, we, you know, USC gets to that place. I mean, he's bigger and stronger, and he does – he's not a, a guy that backs away from physical stuff at all. So, I, uh, you know, I like – you know, when he debuted against Cal, I thought that was a really good debut, that one, you know, two years ago. And – uh I wish they'd get back to that place uh, uh, eventually. Uh, so, so we'll see. Uh, I think they need to run more plays so that they can get more players involved. They've got, you know, they've got a, you know, they average 6.60 yards a game, which I think was like eighth or ninth in the country, and best in the Pac-12, tied with Oregon. USC and Oregon gained the same amount of yards per play last year. Now, obviously, USC turned it over a lot more. Uh, but um, uh, which is kind of ridiculous considering they ran fewer plays. But uh, but but you're right. I mean, I think it's it's just another symptom of the fact that yes, he's got to get the offense squared away. And uh, he had a just horrendous year in a in a year where they did a lot of good things. The offense was horrendous. I mean, so here they have these great, you know, uh, you know. Uh, 6.60 yards per play, and yet really not very good uh, third down conversion at all. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the 34 turnovers are just, uh, you know, I guess uh, three uh, worse than all but three of the 120, uh, you know, football bowl subdivision teams. And that's just totally unacceptable. So shuffling guys in and out, you know, they didn't do a lot of that and still didn't seem to be uh, able to master what they were trying to do with a four, you know, with a four year Heisman trophy candidate quarterback. So going forward, you think, gosh, you're going to have a new quarterback uh, and uh, uh, a history of, of really not having your act together at all. How do you do that with this guy or that guy or whatever? I don't know. I mean, they got to get it better. I mean, that was just a, just an awful awful job of uh, executing the offense last year. Just, you know, game planning it and then putting it into play. And George Farmer was one of the guys that, you know, was standing and watching. And, uh, uh, you know, not a guy that, that doesn't practice hard or that doesn't, you know, get stuff done in practice when he's healthy. And not any of the injuries are the kind that look like, boy, that's really going to be, you know, a serious problem going forward. Uh, but, um, you know, and some guys just, you know, it takes them a little bit, uh, a little while. And, uh, I think in the way USC is set up right now, you could see that for sure. I mean, who, who really got better on offense last year other than Marquise Lee? <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, how much better was he than he was the second half of his freshman year when you look at it? Uh, but other than that, no one had a good year. I mean, it just, you know, Nelson Aguilar was a really nice freshman, but, he was who he was when he came in. Uh, other than that, I don't, you know, maybe Max Turk, 
maybe. Uh, but uh, the offense really, you know, what you say, what we think about Farmer and, and his development, I think we could apply to every single player on the offense and the coaches on offense. Everybody's got to get their act together next year. I agree with you, Dan. All right. Well, I know we got to let you run. We're going to get coached. Uh, I'm sorry. We got to let you run because you got something going on with your wife over there. But we'll uh, let you get back to that. And thanks very much for uh, coming on the show. We'll talk to you again next week. Yep, it's uh, it's golf week this week, and uh, Phil Mickelson is uh, is almost on the phone. So we'll, nice. We'll have to say we're out of here. Well, I hope that Dan has a great interview with him, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Ryan. All See right. ya. Thanks, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music